Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist fitting into their schedule and of course the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, while I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. Comedy, art, and sometimes rock and roll. Let's do a public opinion poll. Raise your hand if you love creative control. Cause when Vish is unleashed, well, you. Oh. Sorry, I didn't see you there. I was just working on a tribute song to my favorite podcast, Creative Control, with Vish Khanna. My name is Matthias, and I play in a band called The Burning Hell, but more importantly, I support Creative Control on Patreon, and I think you should too. Quality long-form arts journalism is like a magical talking unicorn. It definitely exists, but it can be really hard to find. Fortunately for us, Vish makes it easy with hundreds of funny, thought-provoking, well-researched and engaging interviews with artists from all over the world. Your flexible monthly donation on Patreon will get you plenty of special exclusive treats and help Vish keep his podcast well-fed and cared for properly the way a magical unicorn deserves. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash Control today. Dan Caldas, Jacob Long, Mike Kanan, Daniel Marty McCormick, and Hugh McElroy are each multi-instrumentalists who became friends and bandmates a couple of decades ago when they lived in Washington, D.C. After immersing themselves in the music community 
of that time, both as fans of Discord Records bands and other dedicated music makers and organizers. These five folks got together in around 2001 to form an explosive band of their own called Black Eyes, who explored all manner of sounds and ideas, made two great records, and recorded cool songs for other things, toured a lot, and then broke up just two and a half years after they formed. In honor of a 20th anniversary vinyl reissue of their self-titled debut album, which is available now via Discord Records, in the year 2023, Black Eyes are playing their first shows in decades in Washington, D.C., Brooklyn, New York, and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on April 7th, 8th, and 9th, respectively. As such, four members of the band, Jacob, Mike, Daniel, and Hugh, joined me for a recent chat about things like uh, the Beastie Boys and the King Ad Rock, living in America with American politics, their young lives in Washington, D.C., and its go-go music scene, living in that city in a post-hardcore and post-Fugazi era, musical wildness and recording such music with Ian MacKay and Don Ziantara, bands like Hoover and Q and Not You and Phases of Discord Records. When even one of your own bandmates is surprised by how political your songs might actually be, the sweetness of friendships and reconvening with your old pals, future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control, which is the primary source of uh, revenue that I get for making the show all of the time. It's fun. I like it. But uh, financial support is always appreciated. So if you can, please support the show at patreon.com slash creative control. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, respectively, in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. All fine independent businesses, by the way. This is episode 766 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Jacob Long, Mike Kanan, Daniel Marty McCormick, and Hugh McElroy from Black Eyes, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Uh, hello, Black Eyes. Are you there? Hi. We are. Yeah. Hey. What's up? Hi there. <laughs> nice to see you all. Uh, this is great. I, it's rare for me to have so many folks on the show at the same time. So thank you all for, for being uh, with me today. I'm going to go to each of you individually the best I can and uh, get you to talk a little bit about yourself, uh, first of all. Uh, Daniel, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Uh, I'm Daniel Martin McCormick. One of the two singers and the guitar player from Black Eyes. I also play percussion, and yeah, that's that's been my role in the band. I'm the higher pitched singer. Higher pitched. I read in a recent uh, this beautiful. Is it a zine? Let's call it a zine. You guys made a zine, right, yeah. for your upcoming tour? Is that right? Yeah, I read the. There's some chagrin there. Uh, did Ian MacKay not suggest you might sound a little bit like uh, the King Ad Rock from the Beastie Boys? Is that right, Daniel? Uh, yeah, I feel like. Well, I was a big Beastie Boys fan, um, especially Paul's Boutique before and during the band, and I'm sure that some of that seeped in. 
I don't remember it being that I took offense, but I mean, <laughs> there was probably some like joking around in the studio, but I think it's, it's, yeah, it's like one of those osmosis, uh, influences cause he is also up there and you know, they're great. I, I, I love him. I love For Beastie sure. Boys, and uh, I was corresponding with our mutual friend Aaron about your band, and I was giving him uh, real-time emails as I was listening to your records, and I said, oh, this kind of sounds like Oneida now. Oh, wait, now it sounds like Beastie Boys, and I was just like doing like a, I don't know why, I did a director's commentary as I was listening over email, but uh, I would not be offended. I love them, and I was thinking about it on the walk home today. Like, I miss them so much because I think they brought so much positivity into the world, and yeah. that's like it, with everything they did, it felt very positive, uh, uh, t- particularly when they started to realize maybe they weren't so positive when they were younger. And I miss mm. that. Like that's like I, I'm obviously very, very, very sad about Yauk uh, passing away. But I actually miss that they're not selfishly. I miss that they're not just working on stuff and that we're yeah. going to get another blast of positive. Like, I, sorry, this is not about Beastie Boys. <laughs> Daniel? I just want you to know, you should not be offended. Ad Rock's the best. So. I, 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 I take no offense now, and I don't think I took as much offense <laughs> as Ian recalls. I think Ian maybe is just having some fun. Ian likes to have fun yeah. with people, I think. Anyway, yeah. Daniel, it's very nice to meet you. I should say, where in the world are you, actually? New York. Oh, you're in New York. Okay, that's great. I don't know where everyone is. We'll find out together. All right, I'm going to uh, move on to Jacob. Are you there? Hey, I am. Um, yep, yeah, I am Jacob Long. I play bass and saxophone and percussion and assorted other little things in the band. I am in New York as well. You're in New York as well. Uh, those are a, a good variety of things you play. Obviously, you don't play them all at the same time. Let's be fair. Mostly not, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever attempted to do a couple of those things at the same time? I don't think you could. Uh, yeah, not really, but you know, some of, some of the overlap is pretty tight. So often you're wearing one instrument and finishing your percussion and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, it's, I don't, I will get to it cause I, I, you, I would think that, uh, I will say rather your contributions are, uh, amazing. So I, I love what you've done in this band and what you've, what you're going to do again. This is exciting. Yeah. 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 Thanks. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. Definitely exciting. How are things in New York? I didn't ask Daniel, but how are things going in New York? It looks bright and sunny maybe, or is that just your lighting? Uh, <laughs> it's probably my wife. Oh yeah. That's my, my studio lighting behind me. Yeah. It is pretty gray out at the moment. Ah. It's like kind of the end, end of winter, like chilly and gray today. It's funny. I, I ask people this. People who listen to the show know. I always ask people how things are kind of going in their city, and everyone defaults to the weather. Meanwhile, yeah, yeah, you've got a situation in New York where, like, the Justice Department—I don't know—I want to get into it, but it's like nothing is happening, but something's happening all the time in America. I'm a Canadian. I feel I can say this to you, and it's don't don't be offended. We're very polite. It's no judgment, but in New York right now, like all I hear about is New York and the DA and the. All the stuff as we're speaking. Do you not feel that? Like, you guys are like, ah, par for the course. Another day in New York City. Or do you feel like a little like tension when the world is paying attention to what's going on? I don't know. I mean, I don't know what Daniel thinks. It's like, it is a, it's a funny thing being here. I mean, that's like a whole separate yeah. situation or not separate, but like beyond even just sort of the reality of living in New York. But it is funny when it when like you're somewhere else or family or whoever, people talk about like what they hear about New York on the news or something. It's like it very rarely matches the reality of living here. Yeah, I gather that too. 
and also, from what I saw the uh, this week or the last week and a half, people are lampooning the lack of fervor. Thought people thought there would be protests uh, on behalf of that guy, and then no one showed yeah, up. Yeah. And so, anyway, I get it. You're probably just immune to all this by now, as Americans, aren't you? Like, ah, uh, I don't know. Is that right? Are you desensitized a little bit, or is it disturbing? Probably a bit of both still, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's still disturbing. <laughs> okay. The whole thing is Good. still disturbing. <laughs> Good. I find it. It's 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 chronically disturbing. Yeah. It's like disturbing in the way that having like a pain in your foot is disturbing all the time. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. But um, yeah. you still like go about your day. That's a good way of putting it. It's always there, but you've just that's what I'm trying to get to. You're kind of used to it by now. Anyway, I, now we've talked about two different things that don't have as much to do with your band as maybe I think, but maybe they do. We'll find out. Beastie Boys. That guy who I won't even name. Anyway, thank you for joining. <laughs> thank you for being here, here uh, Jacob. I appreciate it. Uh, Mike, I heard you speaking there. Are you there? Yeah, I'm, I'm here. Nice. Nice to see you. Uh, it's great to meet you. Where in the world are you? Uh, I'm in Austin, Texas, where I live. Wow, you guys are spread out. I, yeah. I, 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 that's uh, That's got to be tough. You, do you miss it, everyone? It, in- <laughs> I, I do. I do. I miss everyone. I, but I also really miss the East Coast. I mean, you were just talking about how you know people do, the, you know, default to the weather, talking about you know their towns or whatever, and um, and that had me thinking. Well, what can I talk about other than the weather? And I figured I'd mention that the Texas Legislature is in town as it as it is only once every two years, and that means once every two years we get like a just a slate of bad news pouring forth from the Texas Capitol, and um, and I, I I miss not you know I, it's. It's terrible other, you know, other places too in some ways, but you know, it is uniquely terrible here and I, I wish to leave. All right. Well, we're starting off on a great foot. Everyone's uh, <laughs> doing just, just fine. Uh, what brought you down to Texas there? Uh, my partner, she, uh, she got a job at the University of Texas, uh, I see. 14, 15 years ago. Yeah. And, and I assume you have some, I'm guessing because of discord lore, you might have some DC roots. Is that fair? I grew up in Washington, DC. Okay. Very nice. And, and sorry, what's your role? In black eye. I'm sorry, I didn't say my name. I, I, I'm uh, I'm Mike Kanan. I uh, I play drums and a little bit of keyboards. Nice. Sorry. By the way, there's nothing official here. There's not an interrogation. Not a customs. <laughs> it's not a border crossing. You can say whatever you want. I just wanted to, for the sake of the listeners, to get used to your voices. Uh, that's where I was coming from there. So, uh, great. No, thank you for uh, identifying yourself, and we'll get more into your role uh, as we go. And so f- we're missing one black eye today which sounds like I'm processing people in an emergency room. We're missing one black guy today, but we have one more person to get to. Uh, Hugh, are you there? Yep. Hi, I'm Hugh. Uh, I play uh, bass, and I am the other lower-pitched, less ad-rocky singer. Um, <laughs> you're MCA. You're, you're Yauk, I suppose. Sh- sure, sure. Um, I play, I like everyone, play some percussion as well, and... Um, and a few other things on the records, but mostly just bass, percussion, and vocals for the live stuff. So, yeah. You said That's, mostly with like a tinge of guilt, like you weren't doing enough. That seems like a lot of things to be <laughs> responsible for. That's, that's a little bit of a complex that I have. Um, Your band. I feel like Hugh, Hugh kept it simple. Every, we just like would keep accumulating crap. Yeah. And like, like I have a slide whistle and like Jacob had this like metal drawer he would play. Like it just was like... <laughs> grabbing crap and putting it in the van. I feel like Hugh and Dan were the two people who like 
didn't accumulate. I yeah. actually shed gear over the course of the band because I had the, yeah. the keyboard for a while, like the that oh, weird yeah. like Roland digital piano that we used on like one song. And I like think I might have had a pedal at some point too, but like really I just kept pairing back until it was mostly just like it's me and my bass and an amp and a cable. <laughs> Well, I, if, from what I understand, uh, this approach, this, this, this band had a bit of an auspicious start in terms of like, whatever is in the room, we might uh, incorporate and it might, it might, whatever instrument or equipment's in the room, it might lead to, uh, us exploring it. Um, and I can't recall, is it Daniel? Was it your practice space that had the drums or no? Yeah, it was yeah. at my parents' basement in DC and Jacob, Mike and I had been in a band called Trooper. So we already had a bunch of gear set up there. But before that I had been in another band and we had bought a drum kit for that. So there was like Mike's kit. And then I think also this other kit that I had like laying around that wasn't as nice, but functioned. And when we started practicing, it was like one of the members of Trooper had left to go to college, but Hugh had come back from grad school and so we were all, it was like, all right, we're just going to reconfigure this thing and start again. And it pretty quickly became apparent that like just the guitar based drums thing was not taking us anywhere we wanted to go. And mm. I think that the, having this stuff laying around just was like, well, let's just try it. And that really like set the tone for so much of the way the band functioned. Yeah, a lot. Forward. Yeah, I think there's. Would anyone disagree that there's a certain wildness inherent in Black Eyes? I think that's accurate. I would no call one? it openness to possibilities. <laughs> yeah, I I went with wildness just because it's shorter. But yes, openness to possibilities is <laughs> is a good way of looking at it. Uh, uh, I, I jumped a little bit ahead to the practice space, but I kind of want to get to the formation of this band and maybe what was going on at the time. That might have influenced this. Op- what did you call it? Openness to possibilities, wildness. I think wildness. Wildness is good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're both good. They both I mean, work. you hear it on the recordings. Uh, I, I was, uh, I didn't have the opportunity, to my knowledge, of uh, seeing the band live myself. Although sometimes when I think back on my post-hardcore, I don't know. There were so many shows and in so many different kinds of alternate spaces here in Canada. I'm from Ontario originally. So we would, mm. between where I lived in Guelph, which was a college town in Toronto, we would just always see Discord bands or Engine Down would come by or a Sleepy Time Trio. And it was really fun. And then things got wilder and no- noisier. And, uh, and I started to immerse myself in the, the very great Guelph Jazz Festival, a world-renowned improvised mm. and experimental music festival. All the punks would go to that, actually. <laughs> and then we would be like, oh, fuck, let's do that. Let's figure that part out. And sorry, guys, I don't mean to encapsulate your band. I hear a lot of that happening on on these recordings. Uh, so, uh, again, I hate to uh, mischaracterize you. I wonder if you can we can speak to this a little bit. I'm going to go to Jacob. Can you talk a little bit about more of the context of where Black Eyes kind of came from? We've talked about the practice space, but what year are we talking about here exactly, Jacob? And, and maybe what was kind of going on that might have influenced this wildness, as I coined it? Yeah, well, so we this band started in the like end of summer, beginning of fall 2001. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like the four of us... Without Daniel had been in this band called Nogos uh, a couple of years prior, and then Mike, Daniel, and I were in this sort of like super noisy punk band the year prior to Black Eyes starting. 
So, I mean, with the five of us, it really kind of was just coming together. Like, we were very familiar with playing music with each other. So I think one of the big things was, you know, we were sort of able to just be like, let's try whatever out because we had like a familiarity with each other that was sort of like as important to this project as like, or like what, what, what's the idea for what we want to do with this? Like, I mean, yeah, I think that was like a huge thing. I mean, obviously there was like, yeah, like there's certain sort of like fairly wild, raw aesthetic that Mm -hmm. we, well, whatever, personally I gravitate towards in music and that certainly um was something i wanted to bring to this but it also yeah it was it was like we were sort of like willing to try a lot of different things without sort of like knowing if they would work out or even like knowing if we were able to pull it off yeah you mentioned no goes there uh that is kind of a DC reference in a way, right? Just the name of that band. Is that right? I, I Does think, anyone else remember? I, I don't remember where the name came from. Well, DC had, uh, I, I, sorry, I'm, I'm not from there. Who the hell am and I to say this? But I believe there were kind of, um, s- certain scenes, certain kind of almost stylistic approaches to music that, uh, that emerged, um, yeah. in DC that, uh, a go go is like one of the kind of stylistic genre signifiers, if you will. Is that, I see Mike is nodding his head. Mike, can you speak to that? My memory, and and this is just my memory, so for what it's worth, my memory is that I feel like we talked about the notion of something that was between, you know, No Wave and Go-Go, something that incorporated uh, all of that percussion from Go-Go, but also, like, you know, the noise and and stuff from No Wave. That is my memory, but that's, like, you know, now 25 years ago. So there probably was a much more... uh, a better conversation around that, but that's that's sort of what my my memory of where the name comes from. But please, y'all should correct me. Does anyone want to rebut or affirm <laughs> what Mike has just said? Uh, Hugh, do you have any thoughts on that? I was going to say, no, that's what I remember. I mean, I think that was like when Mike and I were talking about playing music together, I feel like that was sort of the idea he presented as like, wouldn't it be cool if... And like, I don't think that's what we actually did as that yeah that's definitely true we did a different thing i think black eyes might have like landed a little more in that in the vein of like no wave and go go but that's um, yeah and and that's where i was gonna go with that's where i was gonna go go with this if i may do a dad (laughs) joke pun but well wake me up before yeah you could do that too yeah so (laughs) just for those who may not be familiar and i don't know who feels the most uh equipped to talk about this but go go my understanding it was like drawn from uh funk and soul and it was festive and uh you if you were there you were immersed in kind of this it's like a dance party and then no wave is almost the opposite yeah. it was almost contrary on some level right daniel do you feel like the no goes aesthetic uh, the no goes misnomer <laughs> maybe applies more to what mm-hmm. black guys ended up doing yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I, I didn't actually know that story till Mike told it recently. Yeah. But um, to speak to the wildness too, like you mentioned, these sort of post-hardcore bands, and I was a bit little younger than everybody else in the band. Like, there's a four to six year age gap between me and most members or all members, and I felt like coming up in DC that I was really excited to go to punk shows, but also it kind of felt like end of an era. Like there was this sort of like Fugazi's winding down. 
post-hardcore is like math rock. Everything has achieved sort of this, like it's like in its late stages a bit, you know? And we were sharing a lot of music, both that was like kind of forward thinking punk, post-punk, and also totally not punk, like dub, Fela, go-go, electronic music, like all this other stuff. And I felt personally like, yeah, I, w- I was so attracted to that music and to, to music outside of punk and the wilder side of punk. And it felt like this moment of just being like, like that math rock and post hardcore had kind of achieved this level of like complexity and like mannerism or something like that. That I was just like, it's more like burn through this bullshit and like, you know what I mean? Like let's like bring shit in. Let's go hard in another direction and not get like sidetracked with this kind of post hardcore kind of complexity or something like that. And I feel like it opened. And of course, like, you know, in the broader sense of the word, we were like a post hardcore band or whatever, you know what I mean? Like in terms of the, where you would draw cultural lines, that was, we were playing a lot of punk shows and a lot of hardcore shows and with a lot of like, you know, yeah, like kind of screamo or metalcore bands or whatever. You know, that that was like part of the world that we were like actually existing in, but it just felt like there was this, all this other music that we were uh, kind of gave ourselves permission to draw on. And then the wildness was just like, shit, let's just like slicing yeah. through the crap <laughs> kind of, you know, like attack. And I feel like that was like the, this sort of looking back, that was the, the two big ingredients in the secret sauce. It's an interesting, it's an, I appreciate that. It's an interesting time for me. It's a meaningful time for me because it's formative for me. And it's sort of the advent of the internet for me is like the mid nineties. I don't know about you guys, but one of the reasons I wanted to ask about the inception of the band and maybe the kind of environment zeitgeist stuff is that, and I don't want to hit this point too, too heavy, uh, the discord stuff, but discord was in a transitional period. And your band does seem to me to be um, a marker of a shift. But I will also say, you know, for those of us who love Fugazi, we were starting to hear about bands on Discord after they broke up. I will tell you, and I know this for a fact, the band Hoover was a huge, is is a huge influence on so many of us from the Southern Ontario kind of post-hardcore scene. There's just something about that band and their records that just grabbed us and everyone has a story. It's crazy. It's, I'm telling you guys, it's bonkers. And, and then things like Blue Tip, like they were just like bands who would come up here and play. And we were like, Oh yeah, Discord is more than just Fugazi. It's more than just whoever. Um, it really shifted us. And then, and then I think though, when you guys were, uh, at it, like you say, it was a major shift for that label. Like you, sorry, I don't want to put too much on you. But Jacob, does it feel like you guys were part of maybe the next gen of Discord? Like, did that occur to you at the time? Is that even true, do you think? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I think the thing... So, I would say... I mean, so Q and not you, who, you know, we are all friends, had been roommates and neighbors with, had played shows with going back to when they started and the various bands we had been in. They were on Discord. I can't remember the exact timing, but a couple, a couple of years even yeah. before we started, or like a year before we started, whatever their first record came out. So we sort of were, you know, that was that was our scene, like those people and that band. So 
it was sort of like when it happened that we got on. Yeah, I mean, it definitely was. Like, we were the two bands with by far the youngest people who, who yeah. were putting out new music on that label. And then, you know, it it also came along, you know, like El Guapo and Antelope and, and those bands also. Like, it was this, you know, that it was a time where it was like, this new crew of people who were around who were actively putting out music on the label. And it yeah. felt like maybe, I guess not the first time entirely, but like it was, it, it felt like this world that was like removed a step from any of the original kind of like crew of friends who were discord. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and I think Daniel really eloquently described almost a reaction to what was going on was to go even more free to, to kind of get, uh, sorry, Daniel, I don't want to mischaracterize what you said, but there's a certain tautness and tightness to that sort of, let's call it mathematical post post hardcore. And am I mischaracterizing what you said, Daniel, to suggest that part no. of No. And like, yeah. I, I liked Hoover. Like I liked, yeah. I'm a huge Fugazi fan and I listened to a lot of those records. It wasn't so much a critique of that music or its worth, but more just feeling like that language had been developed and established yeah. and reached a form that felt like there wasn't much to contribute to it. Like, yeah. I, like we could keep going in that direction theoretically, but it would be sort of like we just be the nth iteration of something that already yeah. peaked. Yeah. And anyways, that wasn't what that didn't feel like in, intuitively appropriate, and also didn't feel like that was like the next place to go artistically it kind of felt like that was the received thing that you yeah. had to smash to move forward you know fair enough yeah no, that's it you you are very eloquent you've articulated yourself perfectly thank you for explaining that because i was wrestling with this too like what was going on at the time that felt like we gotta because i think i was part of like i say i'm alluding to things i experienced around the early 2000s which was more digging into jazz records i mean i was sorry as a drummer myself i was trying to do that even when I played in post-hardcore bands, my bandmates would be like, what is this? I'm like, it's Thelonious Monk. I live at Newport. I just bartered from the library and ripped it. I dubbed it onto a tape and uh, I want to listen to this. And my Tribe Called Quest records were all, you know, all these jazz samples. So I was just like, I don't know, something about jazz, guys. They're like, okay. And then when we, they, when we go to the shows, they're like, oh, clearly the drummer and the bass player are listening to the same things, uh, you know, Vichas. And so we would spread out. Anyway, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying there's something in the air of trying to find freedom outside of the tautness. And I feel like even though we're in maybe different ages and, and certainly in different uh, places geographically, some sort of shared sentiment going on, it seems to me. Anyway, sorry, I went on a ramble. Mike, well, I was, can you talk? I was just going to say really quickly. Oh, sorry. No, no. I, I was just no, going to say really quickly, though, but also like I think it's not like we suddenly came up with this idea of like let's let's reach out to other stuff. I think one of the things – and it's not just DC people, it's not just Discord people, but one of the things that like I think is true of a lot of the the folks who were playing music around in this scene is that like they were taking in a bunch of other stuff, whether it sort of came out the other side sounding more or less sort of like connected to hardcore or or a more sort of straightforward version of punk. Like yeah. all of the bands that I found super interesting here weren't just listening to punk records. They were listening to jazz or like they were listening to reggae or Afrobeat or like whatever, you know, or go-go. I mean, coming up in DC, like in the summer when people's windows are rolled down in the cars, like, 
everywhere you go, you just hear go, go like, um, and so there's this like insistent rhythm that you're always hearing here. Yeah. That's the sort of local sound and it's really distinctive. And, and I think you can't not sort of take it on on some level, but I think also when I just think about like, you know, people in DC, like the Trans Am guys who were doing this super kraut yeah. thing, but some of it also was sort of adjacent to stuff that like Tortoise was doing and they yeah. were also like taking, you know, and so it's not like I think we were like some kind of unique revolutionaries like being like, ah, oh, you know, like I got into, I got into like the slits and the raincoats because of Riot Girl happening here in the early 90s. And then that led me to all this other stuff. And so I think it's just, it's one of those things that it's like the, the people whose music I tend to find interesting are people who are usually listening to a pretty broad range of things and sort of in one way or another, whether it's super directly or, or more filtered, sort of pulling it in and incorporating it. So I think in some ways, I think we might have sort of sounded a little doing it like in a different way that sounded maybe a little different, but I think we were doing something that the people like our older peers were already very much engaged well, in as well. Well, a hundred percent. If you, if you got to go, like I got to see Fugazi a lot. And if you go to see them live, it's a very free experience. The songs are, they can stretch out. And because of them, I got to go, I got to see Shellac for the first time. And because of them, I got to see the X for the first time. And you're like, holy shit. And then like for me, every music lesson was every show um, that I, every, every music lesson I ever got was seeing these folks and like, okay, now we got to throw down. We got to figure this out. Like, what can we do uh, from that experience? You know, so so in a, in a sense, yeah, it was young people. I think like us at the time, <laughs> younger people uh, drawing upon what their peers were doing, or rather, their heroes were doing, if you will. But yeah, making our own thing. Sorry, I don't mean to lump myself in with it. I just I feel some kinship with you guys. Uh, that's all. Yeah, that's cool. yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry, I was asking Hughes. No, I was asking Mike something. And I don't remember what it was. Oh, sorry. I think I wondered about the immediate community. We've been talking about the broader thing that was going on. Was there something? I've watched a few documentaries about Discord and, and the DC scene, and there seems to be an ebb and flow where mm-hmm. everything's happening and then everyone starts to scatter. Was the city itself feeling in a transitional phase when you guys first decided to try playing together as black guys? Do you, can you recall that? Mike? I mean, I think the city is, is always kind of in a transitional phase. I mean, the, the reality, uh, the fact that it's the nation's capital makes for a certain population shift every, theoretically, every four or eight years. Um, yeah. And I mean, th- that, that's not to say that there's not a strong local identity. And, and I shouldn't really talk about that because I haven't lived there for 20 years. But um, <laughs> but I, and I'm sure it's shifted. Uh, but I, I think that there is, like, there is a sense of transience about the place and people talk about the sense of transience about the place. Um, it's different, I think, with, with the Discord stuff, because I think, and, and now I'm speaking a, a little bit out of my butt, but like the, it feels to me like part of what makes it so exciting is it's a youth movement in some ways, right? And as people get older and things change, you know, people cycle in and out. And of course, as, as the Discord folks got older and they started making even more interesting music, particularly in the case of Fugazi, right? Fugazi was the touchstone for so long. At least it felt like that to me, because, you know, that was, that was my, that was my experience, right? And I think that as they started to end, I, I do remember feeling a, a little bit of a, a sadness about that and, and like a loss, like a real sense of loss. And something that, I, you know, for the record, I still feel like I, I love that band, man. <laughs> I think, and I know I'm not alone in that, but like, 
you know, I, I think a lot about that, the, you know, the song, the, when, when Guy in, in Target is like, you know, the, tor- the torch is passed, it's yours to return. I mean, that felt like a, a, a call to arms, you know, and I think, yeah. and I think at least to me, and I think, and I, you know, I, I do wonder if, if for them, they were looking for that in some ways. And, you know, I think Ian's embrace of, of us and of Q, of El Guapo, of, of the younger generation of bands, I, you know, I don't necessarily think that was a certainty, but it was certainly like, I think it was, and, and I say that because it, it seemed, I don't know if y'all, there's the, the start of, um, when he's writing in, in, uh, the Discord 20, I think the Discord 20 box that, you know, he notes that, that Q and not you came in because what he'd started to realize was that there were people who had grown up listening to Discord music and were now sort of the next generation of things. And I think that that goes directly, uh, Vish to the, the sort of cyclical nature of things that you're talking about and that specific transition, right? Does, does that, I rambled. Does that make sense? No, that makes complete sense. And you're speaking to both a sense of awe and I think a little bit of obligation. Like you, yeah. you representing that scene and on some level yeah. that label, I think you've, you're you're touching upon that, uh, Jacob. Yeah. Did you guys feel that when Ian approached you? I I read about how it happened. He saw you play, enjoyed your set, and then invited you guys to record. I don't know if that necessarily meant, oh, okay, I guess we're on Discord or what. Did you feel a certain sense of responsibility in terms of we're a band and we're now going to be part of this entity uh, which has a legacy that we need to. Sorry, maybe this is putting too much on young kids from 20 years ago, but did you feel a little bit of that? I mean, I don't know if responsibility is the word I would use, but it certainly felt... I mean, yeah, so the... I mean, even whatever, like the initial like recording the single definitely wasn't like, like, oh yeah, well, you're on Discord now, whatever. But even just being asked to record a single, it was... Yeah, I mean, it's like felt like a huge thing. I mean... Because we had all been actively doing music stuff, whatever, for for years, and it felt maybe finally like like an acknowledgement of like our presence in the mm-hmm. the yeah. scene, yeah, sort of, yeah. That it, it was there was it was definitely meaning. It was definitely yeah, meaningful. I mean, is what I I guess we're landing. Yeah, on. Yeah, for okay. sure. I mean, you know, it's like yeah. I mean, like Mike said, you know, I whatever like you know from when i was in my like you know finding out about punk like fugazi was one of the first bands i heard and like you know it's like a huge thing to be asked yeah. by by yeah. ian to like go record and uh, like that he's like psyched about our band yeah. like that was like <laughs> that, yeah that was that was huge yeah it was pretty amazing and it was it definitely felt like a huge honor it also like i think that in terms of this question of responsibility I don't think there was like, oh, we're now inducted into the halls of Discord or something <laughs> like that. But I will say that like the label and the general atmosphere in DC offered a template that was so strong you didn't even necessarily realize that you were kind of operating within it. And I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, the affordable shows, like the fact that ethics, the ethics of your music were so foregrounded. Like, it was not even a question that you would be considering, you know, like, you'd be having formed thoughts about, do we work with this type of business? Or do we, how much do we charge? How much do we charge for t-shirts? Do we make t-shirts? Like, in other places, like, I I imagine that those questions were, you know, like, you wouldn't even consider them. But in D.C., they were, like, parsed very deeply, you know, and that lyrics were... 
you know, going to be about like critiques of society or about things that are meaningful to you or important things that your music will essentially have weight and substance. And it, I think there's an expectation set that you would push the boundaries, whether you're pushing the boundaries of hardcore or post-hardcore or moving into jazz or whatever. Like all this stuff, you know, I think was stuff we naturally gravitated towards, but it was also like passed on from before. And I think it's only recently in looking back and being like, oh yeah, that was like, in one sense, we were really pushing against the grain yeah. of what we received. In another sense, we were totally in step with the bigger yeah. template yeah. that we were raised in. And yeah. it was like kind of like family, familial knowledge yeah. being passed down. Yeah. You know? I think one thing that also like, it's almost impossible to overstate the importance of the, like the long tradition and accessibility of all ages shows here yeah. as part yeah. of like what brings that in. Because in addition to having direct access to lots of good live music from the time that I could buy records, um, you know, that I was buying records and buying bands like rec records by bands who were around here. It also meant that it was like, you could, you could walk up to the people who made the records that you loved and say hi. And one of the things I found was, you know, I, I, I didn't realize so much until we went on tour, how not the default all ages shows are and how difficult it is for people to put all ages shows on in some places. And I think that gave a real sort of sense of access, but also like sort of opportunities for like mentorship, formal and informal. And it just meant that like, I don't know, it just made for a lot of, of organic possibility and connection. I think that's just a really important part of it here as well. I will never, I will, I will never be able to convey to Ian enough what small, seemingly small gestures have done for me. Answering my emails when I was a kid thinking about your community, making all ages shows. For me, anything I did or tried to do was like food bank donations, like everything I, you know, whatever, like helping people, uh, benefit events. Like they might seem like small gestures. I'm just saying it's had a, I'll never be able to tell him how much he meant to me. I've tried to, <laughs> uh, but how much that, those little things of like, oh, you can just, anytime someone's like, can you talk to my manager or my agent? I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> like on some level like who are you like this is one of the biggest bands in the world and they respond to me as a human being like they treat people like human beings i'm sorry i got angry guys i just i think that i'm sad that that hasn't been as pervasive you see it more now with social media a little more accessibility and oddly enough in this dehumanized climate people are a little more human but still that seems these little things were revolutionary and it was mostly just predicated yeah. on what if we just treat people nicely and decently, with mm -hmm. dignity. You know what I'm saying? Sorry, rant. Mm -hmm. Daniel, you're trying to say something. Well, yeah, I mean, the all-ages thing was, like, so huge for me because I was, like, 15. I was 14 when I started going to shows, and I was 15 when I met the guys in Black Eyes. And I remember in the summer of 99, my friend's mom had, like, grown up around punk, and she was like, you should go to the 930 Club tonight to go yeah. see this group Boredoms. Oh, and nice. Boredoms <laughs> were playing with All Scars opening. It was, like, right before Vision Creation, New Sun came out. And I just went alone and like stood up front and got my mind blown. And like when I think about that, like the 930 Club's all ages policy was negotiated by Ian in the early 80s yeah. or late 70s so the Teen Idols could play. And here I am literally like 20 years later, you know, like that level of access to music and just being able to go. Like, I mean, I saw like so many crazy shows before yeah. I even knew these guys or like at early on. And it was like no big deal. So by the time I was like 17, 18, and we were really getting going, I felt like 
steeped in musical knowledge to a level that like, I mean, if that hadn't been around, it just would have been, you know, totally different experience. But I was like seeing this stuff with my own two eyes, like right up front is amazing. You know? Yeah. Just just to draw a quick line. I I had the exact same experience. Like I started going to shows when I was 15. Um, I got to see so many, so many fucking bands. And to, to Daniel's point, like by the time I was ready to really ready to make music, I'd like, I'd been steeped in this culture, not just of the music, but of DC specifically. Yeah. And it's because people like Ian, who I would, I would think would not say he's solely responsible, just, uh, but, but people like Ian of that ilk making those calls, making those fights for us. Again, I don't know. I feel like people take that shit for granted. And I, like I say, I wish I could just thank Mm -hmm. him every day, but it would probably grow tiresome. <laughs> um, Daniel, I wanted to ask uh, about uh, the primary lyricism. Who is the primary lyricist, if there is one, uh, in Black Eyes? We both are. Who's? I, we both are. We just write our own parts. Oh, the two. Hugh and I. Okay, sorry. Hugh and Hugh do that. Okay. So yeah, there's a yeah. there's a revelation. Again, I, I hope I've commended you enough about this zine, but there's a revelation where Somebody discovers you're more political lyrically <laughs> than, than maybe they realized. Um, do you want to speak? Uh, I'm going to go to, yeah. I'm going to go to, well, Daniel, I feel like we're running short on time. Going to go to you now on this. I gather from what we've been talking about where the spirit of that may have come from, but can you maybe even dial into like, how did that manifest itself? What did you, what were you kind of trying to talk about at the time in a general sense? And also again, even though we've kind of covered it, what probably inspired you to be like, I'm going to use this platform for this purpose? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting going back because I think a lot of it kind of came up pretty spontaneously. Like, I wouldn't say I thought of us as like an activist band in terms of like, I, I thought of us as music, you know, making music. And the words sort of came as they came. And I think that the intensity of the music and the the things that concern me were just coming out sort of naturally. And, you know, you ask who the primary lyricist is and also this thing from Dan where he was like, I didn't realize these were our lyrics. Like we jammed a lot and everything would sort of come from the jam. And so a lot of the lyrics would come through like singing and like fleshing out a part and sort of finding little word hooks that came. It wasn't like... I wrote the lyrics and then I bring this piece of paper to the band and then we set them to music. It's like the, everything bubbles up from the bottom. And I think that, you know, the way that the songs are constructed and the way the lyrics are constructed and the vocal parts are constructed all comes from like, we jam a lot. Everybody kind of figures out what they're doing. We hone that through like hard playing and the lyrics kind of emerge to fit the vocals slash you know, kind of vocals get retrofitted with the final lyrics, but like it all bubbles up. And I think that that bubbling up psychologically too, you know, the things that concern me, like in terms of like sexual violence and political anger and mass toxic masculinity and rape culture and all this stuff was kind of just like things I was seeing or dreading or like reacting to in my world and you know that's just what felt like very spontaneous to write about but it it really did like bubble up from below it wasn't a top-down like oh this is our uh, agenda we're gonna protest these terrible things it just was like this is what's on our minds and it came out you know yeah fair enough 
Yeah. Hugh, can you speak to uh, the uh, what Daniel was just saying about the lyrical approach and, and maybe from your own perspective? Yeah, I mean, it's very much the same for me. A lot of it was like me processing my own trauma or dealing with stuff that I felt like, I don't know, just stuff that I felt like was, I wasn't hearing in sort of the conversation of the, in in what other bands were sort of writing or or I don't know, just sort of feeling like if I'm responding to this stuff and this is feeling really like difficult or gross or I'm angry about something like there's probably some 16 year old who needs to hear someone older, like talking about that, yeah. like in, in this musical context. Cause that was a huge thing for me yep. as a kid. And so it just sort of like a lot of my writing was sort of like processing what I was dealing with or what was in front of me or things that were upsetting or that I needed to process for myself, but also with this sort of eye towards like this abstract teenage version of myself who really needed to hear it and would have, would have maybe felt like stronger or bolstered or like more prepared for the world. Yeah. (laughs) Right. If he'd heard some of this shit. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, but a lot of it was also just like, like I said, just like processing some of my own shit, you know, like, mm-hmm. like stuff that was painful and stuff that was, that I was angry about. And it was never like, uh, I need to have my, like, you know, ideologically like, uh, Sandinista aligned leftist political, you know, whatever, like manifesto in lyrics. It, it was a lot more like, man, that's fucked up. <laughs> also though, I think one thing I just would say too. It's just, and as heavy as the lyrics can get, if you read them on paper and like, you know, we didn't really talk about it because I think we were all just like developing our parts and also just playing was like a lot of fun. Like those shows, especially early on, were like a total blast. And, you know, it's funny thinking about what Dan said in the zine where he's like, oh, I just thought we were like being this like party band. (laughs) Cause like, I think there was this sort of, as we were finding our voice, we were just exploring a lot and having a lot of fun and one thing that happened i think especially at the first record was like it was the first time maybe like seeing ourselves like really reflected in a certain way of being like oh this is what we are like we made this we can look back on it in this more complete vision than we'd ever seen before and being like this moment of like congealing cohering and then launching into the next phase yeah i just had two real quick thoughts one it's like at least to me it's I had no idea what the lyrics were, but it's odd to me to think that Dan thought we were just a party band. Like it always felt heavy to me. Like knowing knowing what was going on or not, like we were obviously doing something heavy. Not in terms of like playing metal, but in terms of like there was there was something serious going on even if we were whatever. It was yeah, playing's fun, like all that. I think the other thing in terms of like knowing what the lyrics are or whatever, it's like the same with all this other stuff. Like we all were super comfortable with each other and really trusted each other to to do whatever it was we wanted to do in this band. And that, you know, it's like yeah. the people who wrote lyrics yeah. that was their their thing to do. And we believed and trusted that it was something that, like, we would be about ourselves. Just to be clear, like, Dan's not here, yeah. so let's trash him more. No, I'm just kidding. No, Dan's <laughs> not here, but <laughs> no, <laughs> what no, I'm no. getting at is he I doesn't just... seem to uh, object to what you guys were doing. He was just surprised. Like, let's clarify that. 
is all I was getting at. Yeah, right. Yeah. Which, when people are screaming and caterwauling, like my bandmate, I was just going through this exercise with one of my old post-hardcore bands, and I sent him the lyrics. He's like, I had no idea you were saying that. It just, if you hear the recording, it just sounds like <laughs> there was something about our own insecurity in that time. We were free, but we would mask emotions with screaming and like the lack of articulation for some of us, or the mix was really low. Like the vocals were buried. Like I, I, there's something to that, and I don't want to get into it right now. I want to quickly say, I think Daniel has to go, which is unfortunate, but I, I appreciate uh, you being here. I wanted to ask about the recording and stuff, but uh, is everyone else comfortable continuing for a few minutes? I'm good. Okay. I just want to be courteous yeah, to Daniel because that's what Ian McKay taught me to be like. And my parents. Thank you for having, thank you for having me. It's been thank, an awesome conversation. I'm sorry I have to leave. No, that's fine. It's okay. a busy time. Thank you so much, Daniel. Uh, everyone right. say goodbye to Daniel. And, uh, Talk to you guys soon. Bye, Daniel. Thanks again. Bye. Thanks again. Bye. All right, fellas. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to uh, continue on by getting into the uh, working with Ian and Don Ziantara, I believe. Uh, is, is that primarily... Uh, let's go to uh, Mike. Mike, is that primarily... Yeah. Uh, who you guys recorded with in this band? Yeah, um, I think you know we recorded all the demos with with Hugh, and but like yeah, all the I think all the the final recordings uh, were all done with Don and Ian. Yeah, uh, which was like you know for me personally, like you know having you know I think I, I think we alluded to it earlier, but having your hero record you is is quite something, and and I don't and I think it's it's a, that's a, a sort of flip thing to say uh, because it's not you know it's way more complicated than that right because yeah. he's like he like Hugh said like it's he's not just your hero he's your God I I think when we were talking to Chris Richards about all this stuff I mean Chris was was it no no I'm sorry it's in the Z, it's um it's uh it's Raphael Raphael says you know he compares you know compares this to you know Ian's you know Ian's rock and roll hero growing up was Ted Nugent yeah. right and so like you you know it's like having Ted Nugent like down the street and accessible and like you know. Up, you know, up in your shit, <laughs> like in a that really positive way. And yeah, like, I was gonna say, like, <laughs> Ted Nugent down the block sounds fucking terrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ignore the Ted Nugent well, part. Now it, it like, now it does, and maybe even then it should. But yeah, I appreciate what you said. <laughs> yeah, so that that, um, that must be was it yeah. daunting? I, I find the recording process daunting, no matter who's in the room. Was it daunting to have Ian McKay there? Or was he was it smooth sailing? You know. I will say that one uh, remarkable skill I think that both that both Don and Ian have is is their ability to make it not daunting. Yeah, and I I don't know if that's a certain sense of self awareness. Although I, I kind of it's it, I'm sure there's some of that, but it's it's more like they're just like who they are as you talked about earlier, Vish, like as human beings. Yeah. And, and I think that that you know being able to relate to these folks as human beings, but also people who have deep knowledge about both recording and music. And I think Jacob, you had, you had, I think it was, you made this point and I'm going to shut up and, and let you make it because it's your point. But the thing about like playing like songs, like before we record it, right? Oh yeah. 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 I mean, I, I was even just going to say the overall for me, it's like obvious that Don and Ian had done so many sessions together and it wasn't that they had like a template, like bring the band in and do this, do that. But it was just like a level of comfort. And they just like set it up like you're doing this thing and it's like you're like there to to work. But it also was just very comfortable. They had yeah. like, yeah, like they had these routines like bring in like bread and olive oil to snack on all day. And like Ian would bring in music to listen to to like get the mood set. And like, huh. and they just like, you know, we're so familiar with how things work there and, and how to, 
yeah, just make everyone feel at ease and get the best out of everyone performance wise in these ways that, you know, often were very subtle. Nice. Yeah. No, that's great to hear. And I uh, appreciate the bread and olive oil. You can't go wrong with that combination. <laughs> that's, that's great. I, so you make, I, I, have, <laughs> I was just gonna say to this day when I, when I, I, that's what I think of when I have bread and olive, that is exactly what I think. The of. first time I was trying to connect with Ian ever to do an interview it was 2002. And I told him he left a message on my machine he really liked my outgoing, this is a point of pride, my outgoing message at the time, and I don't think I can hit these notes anymore, was something like, uh, hey, hey, mom, I like the way you phone, but leave a message at the tone. And then I played Black Dog, and then he loved it. He was like, Vish, it's Ian, blah, blah, blah. You know, I don't normally go for it, but uh, it's a good message. Good message. <laughs> don't normally go for that kind of thing. He had to preface it with that, which I thought was pretty funny. Anyway, my point was uh, when I told him, I called him back and said, oh, can we figure out when to talk? And I said, oh, sorry, I'm making pizza for me and my lady friend. And he goes, oh, pizza, you know what you need? Uh, olive oil and salt. <laughs> that was the recipe he gave me. I'm like, okay, I'll try and figure that out. Anyway, weird tangent. Sorry, guys, I'm getting hungry, apparently. My point was this. Uh, uh, you make these recordings. Uh, they come out on Discord, uh, as far as I know. Is that the end of the recorded output then? The, those two, pro- no, there's more than that. Sorry. There was, you, you made a lot of stuff, right? Is that right? I, I'm going to backtrack. <laughs> with a seven inch that we did with Don and Ian that came out, I mean, basically Discord subsidized like my label Ruffian Records yes. to put it out. Yeah. So it came okay. out technically on Ruffian with a lot of assistance from Discord. They kind of handled it. So okay. a lot of the mechanics of it. And we had the split seven inch with early humans that came out on Planaria. Right. And then we have the comp track on the closet full of clothes, uh, white denim comp, which was essentially just, it was one of our demos of a song that didn't get used on other records. Um, but all of this is overseen by Ian and Don. Is that correct or no? The Planaria thing was us. I recorded okay. that on the eight track in Daniel's basement and the 10, which is on the closet full of clothes was on the 16 track in my parents' basement, I think, from when we did the demos for the first LP. I didn't mean to get too mired. I didn't mean to get us too mired in this, and I apologize. Uh, Where I was trying to come from, uh, uh, and I'll I'll fully admit, I'm not uh, fully uh, uh, equipped to talk about your actual, um, uh, the duration of when the band uh, sort of stopped at that time, and that's what I was trying to get to. Um, you, You have these experiences and I, I, what I want to get to now is sort of why the band stopped and when. Um, why don't I go to Hugh on this? Do you have a perspective on on those things? Yeah, we well, we had done some really intense touring in 2003. We had done a month uh, in the spring in the U.S. and then we did Canada in the U.S., Canada with Ed Edit in the U.S. with Q and Not You. And then we had a, like a week and a half at home, two weeks at home, and then we went to Europe for six six and a half weeks. We came back and we made the second record and we'd had some shows booked, but I think at that point, um, Jacob's partner was, had gotten accepted into grad school in California. So they were looking to, to move out there. And I mean, I think it's sort of more complicated because I think we were sort of having trouble figuring out how to sort of like, what do we do? Do we keep the band going? And we had a certain amount of like internal tension that was kind of, we were not resolving super well, I feel like. And I don't know, I think you said this in the course of our, our interviews for the zine. So Jacob, I, I could, if I'm misrepresenting you, but, or maybe it was just something we talked around like in my kitchen at some point, but it sort of felt like 
in some ways like easier to stop than to like put the effort into to resolve some of the stuff that was like not going super well because we we sort of knew there was an endpoint coming up yeah. um yeah. or a big transition coming up with Jacob moving sorry i hope i'm not misrepresenting you there no Jacob. not at all yeah i mean it's you know being so removed from it now it's not necessarily hard to remember but it's like obviously we're all at like very different places but yeah i mean the in 2003 we basically played a show every other day yeah for that year yeah and you know when we weren't on the road we were practicing three plus times a week you know like we spent more time with each other that year than with anyone else by far and yeah i mean that especially all of the touring at the end of the year really like ramped up some internal tensions for sure yeah. You know, you come off, you come off all of that activity and then making this like super intense record. And I had like a, a change that was going to happen. We were kind of at that sort of point and then like sort of trying to write some new material that like, you know, maybe like there was some creative tension as well. And it sort of all just. Yeah, in some ways, I guess, felt easier to just be like, okay, like, let's move on right now than to try to deal with it. I don't know if people outside of bands like this realize that sometimes, like, all this intense energy that's pointed outward collectively sometimes seeps into the internal, interpersonal relationships. You're intense people. I mean, that's kind of why you make the music you make, probably, and say the yeah. things you say. <laughs> and every once in a while, it's going to come inside your house. Um, and Yeah, and, I mean, yeah. I think... I think throughout the band that honestly was, you know, obviously we were able to harness it for creative purposes, yeah. but it, it was this. Yeah. Also like the, the writing that we were doing after all that intensity and that tour, like I think it was possibly like our expectations might have been a little like mismatched with kind of where our energy was or mm, what it yeah. felt like. It's kind of like getting off the highway and then like, struggling to stay at the speed limit because you're driving so much slower. Like, I feel like those writing sessions or like the practices we had felt like flat compared to everything we'd just done. Huh. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so it just sort of felt like, and again, I, in retrospect, I can think of a lot of different ways we could have approached it, but like at the time it just kind of felt like, uh, I don't know. I think, and it was, it was sort of like sad to think about yeah. like the band ending but it was also like hard to figure out how to move forward yeah. with it yeah. also. Yeah. Well, uh, th this is sad, but let's get happy because it's sort of back now uh, on some level. Um, Mike, can you talk about what uh, the occasion is that you're doing shows? I know that uh, the occasion for us speaking, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, Mike, can you begin to tell us a little bit about why the band is sort of uh, reanimating itself and maybe what it means uh, beyond uh, shows? I'm just curious if you can begin that part of this discussion. Yeah, totally. So I think, you know, the, the, the headline is, you know, we're, we're getting back together because it's been 20 years uh, since the first record came out. And so we're, we're playing these shows uh, in honor of that in some of the places where we, at least I'll, I'll say I really have incredibly fond memories and uh, in the communities where I think, um, you know, really 
these these places were extremely special to us, right? I think we've talked about other stuff, uh, and I think what we've said basically is we just got to see how these go. And I will say, I will speak personally, and I think we've had some conversations about this. Like it has been. Uh, an incredible experience making music with these folks again. Um, and in some ways, like I've been chasing this experience for like 20 years. Yeah. And to have it back is like, <laughs> it's, it's incredible. So, I'll, you know. Well, I appreciate your uh, emotional response to that. I know what it's like. Uh, when you are in it, when you're in a great band and it's gone, you miss it a lot. It's like, it's like any great relationship, right? So I appreciate yeah. that. Um, well, good for you. Congratulations on that. Um, sorry, uh, Jacob, when's the last time I gather from what Mike just said, you have already convened at some point recently. When's the last time you were all in the same room playing together? We've uh, played together a handful of times now in, in Hughes, Hughes' basement. We had, had a couple of uh, weekend weekend practice sessions. But to Mike's point, or just generally about this, it was this interesting thing. Like um, The first practice we had was last July. And that was, I could be wrong, but I'm almost positive that was the first time the five of us were in a room together since the band broke up. That's, wow. So, I mean, just, you know, like getting back together and playing music has been awesome, but even just, you know, and was not really expecting this, but what just the the sort of social energy of the five of us being in a room together was a really deep feeling. Yes. There's there's like a deep comfort or like, it's a really like, and it's interesting because sort of where we left it was like, maybe like not in the most comfortable place sort of with all of us. Yes. And so it was kind of like when we all got back together and it just sort of felt like, Cause you know, like, especially when you're in a new band and you're playing with your friends, it's like you're, that, that, that band is like the main part of your social life. Like we would like have practice and then we would go like get calzones and like listen to records at someone's house or watch movies at like the house that Jacob and I lived in or like, you know, like whatever, like it was just, there was a lot of just like rolling very tightly around together and that gets harder to maintain as you sort of, as like things become more work like, but it's been really cool. It almost has felt just like really like naturally easing back into both. I don't know. My favorite things about like the productive worky creative aspects of it and the things that are like most like wonderful to me about our friendships. Yes. So, and a lot of people talked about this in the, in the zine, in the interviews with Chris in a way that like brought back some memories that I think I maybe had sort of were a little blurry for me, but just talking about like how much sort of like trust and, and sort of faith in each other we had and sort of like how I think like, you know, not a perfect record of it, certainly not for myself, but like the degree to which I think we really were like there for each other creatively and otherwise. Yes. So it's just been really good. It's just been like really, really good on every level of just like spending time together. Again. Totally concur. I, I apologize. That. I have to run. <laughs> I'm like okay. 10 minutes late I, for a meeting. Bye, okay. Y'all. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank I'm sorry y'all. I kept you long. No, no, this was great. Thank you so much for your time. Vish, and I'm, I'm so stoked that you were interested. Oh, absolutely. And uh, uh, we'll talk soon. Good luck with everything in the shows. Yeah. Okay. We, I'm going to wrap us all up now because I, I realize everyone's, I've never had a guest drop like flies like this before in my life. It's just, everyone's got to split. It's fine. I'm not taking it personally, nor should I, I don't think, but maybe I'll find out later when I revisit the tape. My question was going to be about your practicing uh, and your playing, I presume, stuff from your catalog. Hugh, has this already prompted new lyrics or new ideas at this point? There's a couple of lyrics that I've made some changes to yeah. for the for the shows, but nothing like radical, just like 
like uh, think this works better yeah. but nothing like huge i'm not like rewriting any songs but we haven't like made anything new in the course of it we're, we're ta- we've talked about it yeah probably have to happen completely collaboratively you're not going to start writing before you guys get in a room and maybe come up with new arrangements is that a fair way of putting it it's hard to know how like we're <laughs> i mean go ahead Jacob. yeah no it's like we we sort of have have begun the initial sort of talking about the idea of attempting to write i mean it yeah it is it's it, it would be a weird thing in some whatever just different i guess yeah because it's like i mean this band but i feel like all of us for you know like we we worked together by being in a room and playing yeah. like yeah. no one would ever like write up write a part and bring it and be like oh i have this song like like let's like figure out the song it 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 was much much more sort of like built out of organic whatever just jamming really and building building songs out of that so it yeah but it's you know something something new to explore um if or when it happens well i hope it does it sounds like you're all very stoked to be back together uh, it's interesting to me, uh, you're not the only band I've talked to that in, in trying to begin again, you're trying to find some closure. Like that's an interesting part of, of like feeling like the end of something wasn't resolved. So you're going to bring it back and then hopefully find that sense of closure. Like I, I want to, because there's some measure I think of joy in doing something like this again, but probably a little bit of like, I need to address some regrets I have about the way we treated each other or things we didn't do. Am I reading too much into this in your case? Because I, I, I'm just saying this is something I've picked up on from other people in your position who are like, we're getting back together. And this time we're going to get along better. And this time we might play our, uh, a tour that makes more sense. <laughs> we're not going to be going here and here and here, you know? Is there any part of that, do you think, Jacob, of just like... I mean, I, I, mean, I don't know if I would articulate exactly that way i mean i think it's more just this like really enjoying like being aware i guess i guess the thing with time and whatever thing that i've noticed is just being aware of how special it is to have this time Yeah. yeah fair enough um, yeah, I agree. I don't think it was like a conscious. It wasn't like, uh, oh, now I can get closure on these open loops of regret that I have. It was more like, uh, let's see what this is and okay. see what it's like. Yeah. And then, then when it happened, it was like, this is fucking awesome. Yeah. This feels really good. And I think all of us coming back together with like 20 years of maturity and yeah, like self, self awareness and like, and not being in the middle of this thing where we're like, like 19 to 25 years old and this is our life and every decision feels life or death right it's just like i think we've i think it's a fringe benefit to have a little bit of like the sort of psychological closure i don't know if that's how i describe it but like i think when you're older sorry i'm always whenever i bring this up i think of the jesus lizard who came back in 2009 and i watched them and i'd seen them back in the day i could just tell they were more comfortable with each other and I think that translates into more relaxed playing, despite how intense their music was. I think they just, I mean, I mean, it might have been a facade or something, but I could tell they were just comfortable in their skin. They got all that, that, uh, angst out in their youth and they ended badly. And then when they reconstituted, I think they probably recognized how precious it was. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm putting something else I observed on you guys, and I don't mean to. I just mean, I think there's probably some semblance of that. You are older, 
You know, here's the example I use. I play basketball with my son. He's 11. I'm hitting shots. I would never have hit in high school. He's like, he thinks I'm like a half court magician. I'm like, I don't know why these are going in, buddy. It makes no sense. I didn't make the high school team. I think I'm just more chill and I, I can execute better. I play better. I'm playing better drums. Like I just, I've some less wound up. Yeah. Sorry. No, I, think I mean, when you're making, I, I you think, know what I'm getting at? I think there's something to both being older in terms of whatever, like socially, emotionally, but also just psychologically. You know, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then also just musically. Like yeah. we we've all in 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 different forms continued to play music for the last 20 years and are just, you know, like whatever. Like I <laughs> I don't I don't know more comfortable but like we just have yeah. that experience as well to draw on. And yeah. it's yeah. Yeah, it's youthful whatever. I I'm not a psychologist. I'm just trying to figure out black eyes today and I think uh, we all got a bit closer. So thank you for this. I assume people can learn more about uh these upcoming tour dates at uh via Discord. I I'm guessing is it one place does black eyes have kind of an online presence at the moment? We have uh Instagram account that's like pretty that's very that's active that that we're we're running that has, okay. you know, information and then yeah, I guess Discord or like we're running the Bandcamp page now also, and there's like some some archival stuff in the Zine up there, and and I'm, Zine's the amazing dates as well. Oh, thank the, you. The Zine's wonderful. Sorry, yeah. in terms of an anniversary uh, uh, that you're celebrating, in terms of sorry, is it a 20th anniversary of a record or is that yes, yeah, so it's the it? 20th yeah. anniversary of the first album. And so is it being reissued or anything like that at the moment? Yeah, so okay. um I believe the vinyl is on its way to Discord as as we speak. But That's um, what I hear. yes. Yeah. Congratulations. So, That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um if you go to the Discord website which I just have, we are the <laughs> top news item because uh, <laughs> apparently they have not updated since November 15th All of right. last year. But um yes, if anyone needs information, it's on the Discord page and our Instagram. Okay, excellent. Now if we can go out on a Black Eyes song right now. So people get a full flavor of maybe what the band was about. I don't know if you which record you want to pick. I don't know what you want to pick. But if we can, I wonder if uh, we can decide together on what that song might be. I'm going to go to Hugh to pick it. But uh, Jacob, you can veto. If you don't like it, you can pick something else and we'll have a fight. But let's see what Hugh comes up with. Hugh, if we can go out one song right now, what would you pick and why? I think I would pick... Fathers of Daughters from Cough. Oh. Because I think it I think it hits a lot of the different things we sort of had going on simultaneously. And I don't know, it's tough. It's tough. Something from Cough for sure. I feel like Fascinating. Or maybe maybe since we're reissuing the first record with the anniversary, maybe we should do something from it's the fascinating. first record. It's fascinating that you picked the record that isn't being reissued. I just want to say that, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Jacob, what do you think? I think that's a good call. Okay, that's actually a song in in revisiting it. That like, yeah, I I it's it's been one of my favorite songs to play. Okay. I love that song so much. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So this is uh, from the album "Cough" by Black Eyes. This is "Fathers of Daughters," and uh, in lieu of everyone else being gone, <laughs> leaving early, Hugh, uh, Jacob, thank you so much for your time today. I hope you enjoyed this, and I hope you have a great time playing shows again and uh, reconvening. And uh, I hope we talk again soon. Best of luck with everything. Thank you awesome. so much. Thanks. thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, for yeah. sure.
At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Oh, once again, great thanks to Jacob, Mike, Daniel, and Hugh from Black Eyes for appearing on this, the 766th episode of Creative Control. For those of you listening and who may not know, uh, Creative Control is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts, except for one prominent place, because I took the show off of that thing. If you can't find an episode you're looking for, if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly uh, newsletter, please visit vishkana.com. You can also like Creative Control on some of the social media platforms. It's on Facebook. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter, at vishcreative, or you can follow me directly on Twitter for now, at vishkana, and on Instagram, at vishkana, actually, on both of those things for now. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creativecontrol to make a flexible monthly donation uh, to support the work that goes into making the show. 
uh, as often as I do, which is at least once a week, sometimes like this week, twice a week. It, it depends. Now, you can uh, donate any amount you want, and you can change it at any time. You can do $3 a month, $10 a month. You can do $4 a month. You can do $1,455 a month. And you can start that way, and then you can bring it up or down depending on your whims, really. It's all up to you, whatever you decide. I didn't like that one. I'm taking it down. I really like this one. Back up. Whatever you want to do. $6 American or more a month grants you access to exclusive content and uh, episodes earlier than everybody else. You get a couple of perks that way. And if you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt, just message me on Patreon and I'll get you one while supplies last. Don't be shy, by the way. Some people are like, oh, I don't don't know if you want me to really ask. Of course I do. Please. I have too many of these t-shirts that I made and well, I mean, they are kind of going fast now. Anyway, patreon.com slash creative control for more info about that. Hey, thanks again to the independent uh, businesses Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario for their in-kind support for this show. Thanks, as always, to my independent friend Jim Guthrie for letting me use some music of his on the program. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. He's not that independent. Trust me. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with Black Eyes. I hope you will check out this reissue of their debut album. It's wonderful, and they're doing three shows. Uh, As I'm speaking to you, they're coming up uh, this weekend, uh, April 7th, 8th, and 9th, so I hope you'll check them out if you're in uh, the cities they're playing in, which are D.C., uh, Brooklyn, and Philadelphia. And also, uh, please consider subscribing to this podcast or following it and telling your friends maybe to do the same. Listen, I gotta go. I will talk to you very soon. Thanks again for listening. Bye for now. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.